Buongiorno Cesena, grab your brolly, pull on your wellies and pack a thermos. The Giro's in town today and so is the rain. The individual time trial is on the menu today with riders out on the course from 1pm onwards. So expect congestion and road closures through Ruffio, Fossa and San Maro Pascoli as well as the Piazza Borghese. It's going to be a damp one folks, so to keep spirits up, here's wet 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 and love is all around. Well, it's early in the morning, and uh, we are in Cesenatico, ahead of the uh, the individual time trial today, which is just inland in the in the city of Cesena, um, and it, as you can tell, is bucketing with rain. I think it's due to clear up later on in the day, but at the moment, pouring with rain once again in this kind of yeah one day on one day off one day on one day off sort of Giro d'Italia in terms of the weather bit of sunshine next day it's pouring that's been the th- roughly speaking the way it's gone so far because summer it's a kind of tug of war between spring and summer at the moment that's going on in Italy and nothing has really settled so I do hope for the for the riders uh, particularly at the sharp end of the general classification that it's dry later on uh, we got here quite early yesterday and as a team the group of people I travel around with we don't often get to sit around a dinner table together but we did last night um, one of our colleague Massey went to university back in the day, 20 years ago, not too far from here, and uh, used to used to make his way up here by train for a bit of R and R, because it's a lovely resort, uh, laid out in a sort of grid system, big, very affluent up here, big f- detached houses on avenues uh, that are tree lined, and we walked off from our hotel towards the seafront, uh, passing as we did the big Ferris wheel. Uh, with its LED lights and everything that's quite a spectacle actually and in the just on the ground in front of the ferris wheel there is the memorial to Marco Pantani which uh, is relevant because this is where Pantani was born where his family lived and live and um, yeah spent most of his life and um, and that was quite striking and then we went to we walked a little bit further into the canal area and I really recommend a visit here if you're ever in this part of Emilia Romagna, right up in the north northeast of Italy now, on the Adriatic coast. The canal um, that just goes inland off the port was very, very still last night and the water was reflecting all the shop fronts and the restaurants. There's lots of foodie paradise. Every other every other building uh, opens out into a restaurant with a terrace all the way along this canal that was designed and constructed by uh, none other than Leonardo da Vinci. And we had a uh, we had a sort of seafood dinner that was uh, absolutely extraordinary. Served served by a waiter who was um, a lovely chap, the San Marco restaurant, ironically enough. And um, the waiter has actually been serving in that restaurant for as long as well tw- for twenty years. So he was still serving when Massey used to come here. Um, this was his favourite restaurant, and he actually is a keen uh, amateur cyclist, a dilettante himself looks the part as well super skinny not an ounce of fat on him and um remembers riding with marco pantani so i hope that sets the scene and um yeah time trial day so there's a lot of prep to be done for me and uh, but mercifully slightly shorter commentary shift 
and then a rest day tomorrow. Well, we've come to a little boutique independent um, cafe in Chesena, and we've got a, little, a couple of seats gazing out at the, uh, at the scene uh, before us through the window. And it's bleak, isn't it, Matt? It's very bleak. Um, walking to this establishment, there's a little, little bit of light drizzle. Um, but now we've eaten, we're just finishing things off with a, with a, with a, a coffee and, a, and an orange juice, and it's raining pretty heavily, actually. It does look particularly bleak. Um, wouldn't say depressing, but maybe that's just because I've got never such a slight hangover because we had a cracking night out last night, didn't we? Really lovely meal. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, it looks, it's, look, looks, it's sad and it's just not lovely. But it's gonna, and it's going to make it quite, quite nervy and technical today. I think the, the race could be uncomfortably awkward and risky. For those riders in the general classification who are going to have to push on, this is, you know, this is not... The problem is you can't just... You can't neutralise an individual time trial. You can cancel it, they're not going to do that. But they're going to have to race it, and you can't neutralise your effort. No. Um, the, the only saving grace, I guess, given the weather that um, it looks like it's going to be in for the day. Um, I thought it was going to ease a bit later, but it certainly doesn't look like it. And even if it does, the roads are not going to dry, are they? That, that, that's for sure. Um, yeah, riders at the back end um, will all be riding in the same condition. So now we're di pretty deep into race stage nine. GC, got proper GC, a proper looking general classification now. So at least level the same condition. So, and because it's such a long TT, 35Ks, the top 10 are going to be all on the road at the, the same time. Yeah, they will. Which is, because this is so long, it's quite unusual. Generally, there's been quite a lot of short time trials in, in uh, Grand Tours over the last couple of years, but this one is long, 35Ks uh, in one direction. And it's not going to be super, super quick because it's in whatever way they go, the prevailing wind is in their face from mm. the left or from the right. So mm. it's going to be a, yeah, it's a, quite a slippery, sticky time trial. Yeah, a bit blustery. Yes. Anyway, no point in predicting it. Although, no. I have to say, your predictions yesterday were spot on, Matt. You Thank called you. you called Healy and you said there might well be some GC action as well. And I think you even named Chet and Roglic. Yeah, I just, looking at the course um, and, and having seen it firsthand and having ridden up it, and then... I don't know, I just had a feeling that it... And, and looking how good Ben Healy's going first off, and the way, I think, from any break at the moment on a course like that, I thought Ben Healy is unbeatable. And he emphatically kind of showed that yesterday, didn't he? It was a, it was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant win. But, um, yeah. Oh, it's quite rare you use the word unbeatable for a rider, for a breakaway rider, isn't it? For a non... It's quite interesting, that. But yeah. you're right, he was... He appeared to be unbeatable at the beginning of the race, and it turned out he was unbeatable. It's quite rare to have a rider not totally on GC... Who is on that kind of parkour unbeatable? I can't. In fact, I'm, now you've used that, I can't think of a kind of an equivalent. The, the only, the only thing that was going to take Ben Healy out of the equation yesterday was a, a severe mechanical bad luck, and in, in the end, he built himself such a buffer he could afford to have had a minor crash and a puncture and a bite change and still a sandwich have won. and a sandwich. Yeah, and a, a, just a cheeky espresso. S sent a tweet, but yeah, it's rare. I look, we looked at that break. I thought Healy's going to win. Yeah, he's going to win it. And um, at what point? I didn't think he'd take off so early. Well, not of his team. Uh, yeah, did they? Yeah, your, your, your conversation with Matty Brush. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, oh, it's nice. So you talk about the dinner. So you, you know, just just for the record, for you know, I had a slightly earlier night than you. So which is maybe reflected in the fact that my voice is at a normal pitch, whereas <coughs> yours is mine's a little bit less. It was doing the voiceover this morning, not the voiceover, the highlights. Uh, yeah, it was very low this morning. I, <laughs> I, start, I, I started day, to speak. Just, it's going up again. Like, yeah, it's kind of it's just fixing itself. Yeah. But yeah, it was... 
because you don't often talk to yourself. I'm, I'm not a man that always talks to myself. Occasionally, I might have a little bit of a mutter or a, or a chunder. Um, but I, when I spoke, it was like, oh, okay, that's quite low. Uh, but there's nothing I can do about it. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a, it was a, it was a fabulous, uh, it was a fantastic meal. I mean, it was just, it was, it was seafood, wasn't it? It was just great. Although you went to, you didn't, because you're not, you, you have certain allergies, don't you? To I think we've talked about it, to crustaceans. Yeah. Yes. Although weirdly, weirdly you said because we t- we things. had some scallops served, I, and you went, oh yeah, can I have a bit of scallop? And I yeah. said. No, because it's a, it's literally a shellfish. It is. I, I, I don't know how to answer that, apart from yes, I so do like scallops, and I, I, and, I, and I haven't flared up. But if you'd had a muscle, you'd be it would have been. I would have. I don't, my body generally does funny things with with that. So, so I haven't had a muscle for years because of the fear of what might happen. So extraordinary. I, yeah, it's, I mean, bodies are funny thing. If isn't there are any nutritionists or scientists or general marine life experts who can explain the possible difference between Matt's non-allergy to a scallop but his profound allergy to a muscle, I think we'd be all ears. Yeah, it might be a, quite, probably quite a big breakthrough, to be honest with you. Yeah, if we could have that explained. But yeah. it, it, was, it was a great meal. It wasn't just the food itself. There was a, it clearly the, the, the waiter was a lovely chap bit of a cycling aficionado. Oh, yeah. Look, rode, look, with, rode with Marco Pantani back yeah. then. Yeah. He, he, look, yeah. Dilettante. Uh, a dilettante. He's an amateur, wasn't yeah. he? But uh, he uh, he was lovely. Gave us a free little bottle of lemon, frozen limoncello. Well, it had been chilled and it was still quite syrupy. Just out of love for the Giro. Just out of love for the Giro. And, and the slight suspicion that you were Franco Pellizzotti. I think I got mis- mistaken for another... Kind of like third, third tier Italian rider from the uh, early noughties, late nineties. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Which seems to be the theme. Yeah. But um, do you know what? I've got, I'm just embracing it. But it's a lovely place, wasn't it? Um, Cesanatico. Cesanatico. Thank you. That's well remembered. Cesanatico. So if it, essentially, the individual time trial today is in Cesanat, and we're in Emilia Romagna, which is um, to the north of Marche, and just. Beneath Veneto, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Um, so it's that slice. It's quite a big. Actually, it's a huge region, isn't it? Because it stretches a long way over to the west as well. All the way to the coast. It goes through Bologna, and I think it does. It might go does across. It a, yeah. Does it have a Tyrrhenian coast to it? It may or I'm may not. Not, not 100% sure. But it either it's does. Big. Yeah. Or, or it doesn't. Or it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're right over on the east. We're about, so Cesena itself is about 15 kilometres inland from the Adriatic coast. And, and where we were last night, which is Cesenatico. Thank you, Cesenatico. Pantani's hometown is literally on the coast, as, I, as I've described, with the Leonardo da Vinci Canal that was very, very elegant and beautiful, actually, beautiful. Um, Cesena itself, we are not in a beautiful part of Cesena. No, it's kind of industrial, isn't it? Techno gym. Yeah, the, the race is actually called some stages, particularly time trials. Um, I think a few years ago when Rigoberto ran pulled in the jersey, we had the Chianti stage, it's called the, or the Barolo stage. We've had actual stages yeah. called the, the. Today is, is the, it's the Tudor stage because of the, the, the sponsor, timing. the timing. Yeah, but the finish is the, it's the te- it's Techno Gym. Yeah. So, and they were a big sponsor of the, it was basically the start, I think, I'm, I'm trying to think if it was Patrick Lefebvre's team or it was an Italian team that Mapoy eventually merged with. Actually, no, the MG Techno Gym was a team uh, that uh, Bartoli, Michele Bartoli rode for them. Uh, won the Ace Bastion on the Ace, won Flanders, I think, for that team. In that jersey? Uh, in, in Lombardia, yeah. in the Techno Gym jersey. So mm. They are a big team, and they've been involved in the sport for years, and they do make a kind of Zwifty-type proposition, exercise bike. Yeah, they've got all their branding up. They've yeah, yeah. bung the organisation a few quid, haven't they? So, you know, we're going to... Well, I've decided not to mention the word Techno Gym, just because... It's already cheap a big shout in the pod, that's probably enough. Did, that's fine, they've that's fine, that's worth made a upwards, return already. upwards of 20 quid. Yeah of free publicity that we've given them um, already so I'm not going to ease off I'm not going to mention Technogen but you've decided you probably will just say it willy nilly a lot I might, I might just say quite a lot just to kind of not annoy you 
just, just to be a little bit playful. But I might, yeah. I might not. Okay, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Um, but Chesney itself, just reading up about it, Matt, it's one of those, um, you know, all the way across through, the, you know, north of here into the Po Valley as well. You get this long history that is almost impossibly complicated because uh, for hundreds of years it was a question of the warring city-states. You know, every Florence was an independent state, Milan was an independent city-state, Bologna was an independent, and they were all at one time or another allied to one another against the Pope, or fighting each other, or taken over by this, that, and the other different concern. And in the midst of all, in a maelstrom of kind of like it, impenetrably complex battles in, in medieval, in the early 14th century, a character emerges called um, uh, Sir John. Although no one quite knows how he was knighted, and, but there's no doubt that he was a knight. Um, Sir John Hawkswood, um, who went by the name of uh, Giovanni Acuto, uh, as in Sharp, so John Sharp, because no one, there are various different ways of transliterating his name, he, um, but I- I- Italians obviously couldn't readily pronounce the word n- name Hawkswood, so he was, in, in Italy he was known as Giovanni Occulto, and um, there's a very famous fresco of him in the Duomo of Florence. In fact, it's the only kind of living, represent, you know, uh, surviving representation of him in artistic form uh, atop his steed. Did he have a beard? He had a, a menacing I beard. I don't think he had a beard, but he had kind of... I, well, there is a, I was reading, a, trying to find it on my phone, a, 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 a physical description of him, but he was... Horrible. A preposterous man. Yeah. Um, from what you told me, I won't spoil it, but born, he sounds horrible. Born in Essex. Um, that's not. I mean, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, it's. Yeah, just, just adds to the strangeness, doesn't it? No one knows quite what his family background was, but we do know that he moved as a child to London and began an apprenticeship as a tailor. And the next thing we know is he's popped up as a mercenary in the um, in the Battle of Crecy and Poitiers, two enormously important historical uh, battles in, 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 in France in the early 14th century. And then it gets a bit unclear or a bit too, like, well, I say unclear. It, I think there's a lot of historical document about what happened to him then, but it's so complicated I didn't really understand it. But then he ends up, um, for, for decades actually, fighting effectively for the Pope. Uh, he was, by this time, a, uh, you know, ridden to the ranks. He was a commander of like a mercenary commander. armies. Okay, right, okay. Mercenary armies, and he just he was a gun for hire. And to, to give you an idea of his wealth that he generated through his kind of like leading these armies in these various different campaigns, I mean, he literally, he literally kind of ransacked or attempted to ransack or occupied or besieged dozens of cities in, in dozens of battles through decades of his life. Um, but a tailor, if he'd stayed as, an, as, as a tailor in, um, in London at that time, he would have been paid roughly 80 gold crowns per annum. That would have been roughly his income, yeah. right? He was believed to have earned, well, in one contract in particular for one year uh, with the uh, city-state of Milan, they offered him 130,000. Uh, right, okay. But his annual income was believed to be somewhere between sixty and ninety thousand. So he ended up, and he was given eventually by his father-in-law, who's the um, uh, the, 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 the Lombard Lord of, of uh, Lombardy, okay. uh, one of them. So the, Visco- uh, the Visconti family granted him, married him off to his daughter, and granted him a huge swathe of Lombardy as well. He also owned a lot of land, bought a lot of land in in, in England. So he's a landowner by the time he, he eventually died. But he and his, his story, and he died quite old, you know, relatively for the time, I think he was in his 60s, <coughs> excuse me, and had only just stopped soldiering. So most of his time he was fighting for the Pope, with whom he incessantly feuded and tried to extract more and more money 
all the time. So he just used the Pope, not out of a sense of belief or anything, but just as a cash cow yep. to build up his, his empire. And, but the Pope, you know, was rather attached to him because he was brutal beyond measure. And the citizenry of Cesena, where we are now, is actually quite a big, big, important town at the time, rose up against the Pope, as periodically happened, to, <coughs> as I understand it, all across what we now consider to be Italy. And he was sent to go and put, put, put it down, put the insurrection down. But a, uh, a, a, an armistice was basically brokered, not by him, but by the, the other papal emissaries and the population, saying that they would be spared if they laid down their arms. Um, and John Hawkeswood wasn't having any of it, waded in and uh, just slaughtered them all anyway. And what I've been saying that, I've just seen a couple of the Ineos Grenadiers out on their yes. bikes. But did you see that? I, I looked like it, it looked like it was Geraint Thomas, actually. Uh, yeah. But again, uh, my eyes are slightly blurred, and, and, and from a distance of approximately 300 meters, look similar. I mean, on a day like today, where it's horrible conditions, uh, I guess, as grim as it is, a, a recon totally is, is recon. more is more important than ever, isn't it? Yeah, arguably, sounds silly, but a recon in the wet, when you know it's going to be wet later, is more important than a recon in the dry because of the pace that they need to take into the corners. So what they will do, they won't push it and risk coming off, but they'll. Quite often, they'll ride the course, look at it. But and what I've seen riders do in the past, especially riders going for the win, yeah, they will get behind the car and accelerate into a corner uh, to get the slipstream effect. To so they're not putting out the same physical effort, but they can corner at race pace just to see how the tyres react, see if they need to take any air out, what what kind of kit they're going to use. So although it's absolutely pan flat today, there are and I. I was a little again. I had a bit of a headache. I, I start to count the corners, and then I <laughs> then I kind of feel fizzled out. But upwards of thirty corners uh, in, in the wet roundabouts. They need to know what's coming up. So yes, it's a bit of a miserable affair. But they will ride in the rain, and they will get the, and they will they will look at the course. Uh, they might even follow one of their earlier teammates that goes out. But to be honest, most of the Grenadiers they're doing that well. They're all at the back end anyway. But no, a recon in the wet massively important today. Yeah. My mind goes back to my first Tour de France 2003, the final individual time trial, David Miller won. Uh, uh, it, was, it was the final GC showdown and the GC was still very close between Ulrich and Armstrong and it was pouring with rain in Nantes the time trial was and Armstrong went out and did two laps of recon and Ulrich stayed in bed and he, wow. sla and he slapped down if you remember and Armstrong, yes, I do, Armstrong yeah. won the race. So, yeah, it's quite important. Um, final word on Hawkswood. Uh, the, the, fres the fresco in the um, Duomo in Florence is by Paolo Uccello, but there's a description of his physical appearance as well by uh, um, okay. a, a writer called Joseph J. Dice, who says that Hawkeswood is said to have been a, quote, heavy set sort, a young ox in the shoulders, powerful of arm and hand. His brown eyes were large, calculating and set wide apart under heavy brows. His nose was long, irregular and came to a point. His straight chestnut hair clung carelessly. Um, Sounds like Ben Healy. I was going to say. <laughs> Healy again, isn't it? Clung He's everywhere, isn't he? He's, he's an icon. Flipping heck. About ten minutes before we go on air. And uh, just finishing off my last little bit of prep and looking closely at the course, um, I have only just realised that as they leave the start of Savignano sul Rubicone, as the name suggests, um, after around about 15 kilometres, they turn left and they cross the Rubicon, quite literally. Albeit in the opposite, uh, opposite direction from Julius Caesar, who headed from the north down to the south to advance on Rome, breaking the imperial law and putting himself on a conflict course that eventually made him the uh, ultimate dictator.
dictator of the Roman Empire that uh, we know him to be. So that's uh, the origins of the, the phrase crossing the Rubicon, which is a river that runs, runs pretty much due east to west through Emilia-Romagna. And uh, yeah, the riders crossed the Rubicon today. So Velko Stoinich crosses himself, the countdown is on and this long individual time trial is about to get underway. 35 wet, flat kilometres await the Serbian rider, who is the first rider to go. The very last rider will be Alex Andreas Leknesund, tasked with holding off the rampaging Remco Evenepoel. But this will be unpredictable. Rain makes time trialling hazardous, we know that, and form uh, could be just a temporary and fleeting illusion as events unfold over the next few hours. Do not uh, miss a beat. And here comes Charlie Quarterman towards the line. Pushing for the line, the fastest on the road at both those checkpoints. And he duly holds on to that advantage and takes a handsome lead, actually, of 32 seconds and dislodges Dan Hula. And in his first Giro d'Italia, his first Grand Tour, will enjoy a spell on the hot seat where you can sit back and look to see if anyone on the course at the moment has got it within them to uh, take that time from him. So hats off to Charlie Quarterman. Thomas now pushing for the line. He's got 50 metres to go and a handful of seconds and he takes it from his teammate by one solitary second. 41.25, Geraint Thomas is the fastest man at the finish line so far, but only just in the end, only just. It's on course, I think, to win this stage by a handful of seconds. Geraint Thomas will be looking on anxiously. Remco Evenpool, 300 metres to go. 41.03, 41.25, the time to beat. He's bang on course. I think Remco Evenpool is fast enough in this finishing kilometre to take the honours on this stage as expected. He will also take the Maglia Rosa. It's going to be tight to the line. Thomas watches on. Evenpool, just about 50 metres to go for Evenpool. It's seconds of counting down. Thomas is watching on. It's so close. Oh. It's so close. It's a frack. It's one tiny second. Remco Evenepoel takes the stage, but in the end it's only a second. Strangest moment of, a uh, senior moment of commentary where you just had a, well, let's, let's use the word, it might make this content explicit, but a brain fart. I, I don't know, is it fart an explicit word? I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I think it's quite, it's, it's reasonably explicit, depending on your, your sensibility, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, but you had a brain fart, didn't you? Yeah, and, and I think it would have been heard. It was quite a loud one, um, because I forgot uh, the name of the 2018 Tour de France winner who rides for Ineos Grenadiers, Geraint Thomas. I nearly forgot it then. <laughs> <laughs> so no, because I, I, I just said Teo Gegenhart and his teammate from Ineos Grenadiers. And you started to slow down, and normally I would jump in and... Kind and of rescue, well, pause. help, but it was such an unexpected rider to forget in yeah. the moment because he's fairly, he's quite famous. Yeah, and uh, and his face was on the television screen at the time that I forgot it. Um, but thanks for stepping in, and that's what we're a team. But I, I, was, I was a little bit late. That's why I was, I'm slightly regretting. I was hesitated to step in because I thought he can't have forgotten Garrett Thomas. Because I don't like that. You know, when you just do a pause, and sometimes a commentator might, it, it, yeah. with with goodwill, step you, in. You're like. I've got to give your mate a chance to kind of like. Yeah. It's a hard balance um, because it, you know it could have, it could it could well it, it was it was highly embarrassing to be honest. But thanks for stepping in because I did forget 
Geraint Thomas's name briefly. Um, but that might be something to do, and I've got to be honest, um, having a relatively late night last night. Well, you've, you've battled through. I mean, you did have quite a late night, in fact. Very late. Yeah, it's quite late. But we, but what a night it was. It was a brilliant night. Um, yeah. Socialising, eating, gnocchi, four cheese gnocchi, uh, that came that was served in an enormous frying pan wasn't we all had frying pans that didn't it was skillet. like a skillet, a skillet. yeah, yeah bat, it's quite a battered skillet clearly seen some campaigns seen some dishes of yeah. of different varieties but yeah lovely bit of knocky but glad i didn't have the steak afterwards because i'm thinking about i'll have the steak um, but i didn't but um well, so it's quite funny was um massey was ordering for us wasn't he yes because he knows the restaurant he knows and he knows his way around a menu like no one else really but he we had such a good waiter the guy the marco pantani lookalike um, that and Marco Patani's you know, dilettante friend as well. Um, but he was so good that he, Massey, you know, Massey wanted to go big and he wanted like an extra course, a sharing course of frittura mista, which is like deep, deep fried seafood, That's isn't Massey's it? Massey's favourite, isn't it, as well? He Massey's loves that, doesn't he? He's, to see actually when, when he, we, we do get served that, that particular dish, the joy on his face, yeah. uh, it's yeah. something to yeah. behold, isn't it, really? So we ordered it, but, but the waiter said, I'll, I'll be the judge of that, basically, didn't he? Yeah. Like, I, I, honestly, I don't think you can, I reserve the option not to serve you that because I think you'll all explode. And so ultimately we weren't served it, and rightly so. I mean, it's great. Clearly he gets that experience from being a bike rider, just pacing things. It's not just pacing a ride, it's pacing your meal. Yeah. Uh, but to pass that information on, not just take the cash and bin the grub, I think was lovely. Yeah, which brings us to pacing strategies. Yes. Doesn't it? Very nice segue, that. Well done, well done. <laughs> Ineos, Ineos Grenadiers, was that a negative split? From, I mean, they, they rode a very similar race, didn't they? The whole way through, Geraint Thomas and so they, they get were, Thomas Geraint. They just rode faster at most splits than everybody else, quite evenly. Um, although Taylor went a bit quicker towards the back end than Geraint. He was seven seconds, Geraint was six seconds faster. Than, there wasn't much between them at all, but it was the man that rode the worst, or they went the fastest, that really did capitulate by his own standards, but, although he won. There's so much to pick out of this time trial all the different riders, uh, but was, by his own admission, w- was Remco. He just went out too fast. Got, we got the pacing strategy wrong, and we were talking on air, weren't we? Um, w- what an, in, an, you know, an, an open, candid interview he gave. I think he's one of the best interviewees out there at the moment because he's, he's just honest, tells us how he's feeling, um, which is quite refreshing. Um, and I, I believe him, but he did cut, not a sorry figure, but clearly tired. The bags under his eyes were noticeable. He's a young man, normally fresh-faced, isn't he? Looks looks really young, but he looked like he'd aged about a, a decade today. Um, but thank goodness for him that we've got the rest day coming up. But we all were thinking that he was going to destroy the field, and we were expecting him to destroy the field, weren't we? And we were saying that the rest of the field clearly had in mind that scenario where they're going to come out the rest day with maybe two minutes to try and chip away at, and, and that's not the case. It's a it's three quarters of a minute for, for, for the man in second position now. Mm-hmm. Had he aged a decade actually, had he literally aged a decade, he would still been three years younger than Geraint Thomas. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> when you think about, yeah, even inserting time travel into, in, into the situation, yeah, yeah, still a young man, isn't he? Yeah. But what, I mean, that, what did you, you saw, I didn't look, I, was, I don't know what I was doing at the moment that we got the picture, as, oh, as Rempo crossed the line, yeah. and then Geraint did mouthed something. No, I, I, I thought I knew what he said, because he said something like that before on Twitter and stuff, but you might as well, what yeah, did he say? little bastard. You little bastard. <laughs> I absolutely love it. If anyone saw my stage show, you, you came to see my stage I show. I, um, I, this is before Thomas started using it. I've always, I did this, I did this whole thing about Grand Tour winners being bastards deep down. <laughs> absolutely every single one of them, yeah? 
And by the way, I'll include Chris Froome like that in that. An absolute bastard. Chris Froome is a total bastard. And I give you reasons why he is, yeah. Yes. And I go through it and I accuse Garrett Thomas of being an absolute bastard. And it's really funny that... Cause Garrett Thomas will have no idea that that was part of my stage show and would care less. But he's started using it now, hasn't yeah. he? Like, about specifically about Remco Evenepoel. And it was his first thing. He said, little bastard. Yeah, one second. And then, te- what about Teo's ride, though, as well? Amazing. Well, we're Just what strides he's made yeah. in that discipline I mean and all round I mean I can't see a chink in his armour at the moment it's just incredible he's looking good that's, that's the best TT of his life even rolling um, Jai Hindley to ultimately take it back in 2020 all, 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 all he had to do then was ride that time I say all he had to do yeah. but all he had to do was you know Roll, get, get that get that time trial done faster than Jai Hindley, who, who he was always going to be faster yeah. than because with respect Jai Hindley isn't um, that's not his preferred metier so uh, must have been huge pressure for Gegenhardt must have been because blimey he hadn't even worn the Malia Rosa until that finished and <laughs> he literally won a Grand Tour that day so I'm not I'm not well I am actually slightly down all I think is that there was more pressure on his shoulders today and he stepped up to the plate and he's probably because he's a bastard, right? Yeah, he is. He, he is probably actually not. A bit of him will be seriously miffed that he didn't win that stage yeah, today, and that's no. the and that's the bit that might just win him this Giro. Yeah, no, no, definitely. He he looks as dangerous as ever, and and I think I think it's fair to say uh, that I think the way he's riding at the moment, regardless actually of what happens later, even if the he capitulates, that performance I think strangely um, has added. An, an additional kind of luster and value to the Giro win, which is a strange thing to say. It's won the Giro, won the Giro, but the way he's riding now, it's like, okay, yeah, you deserve that. It, not that he didn't deserve, but you know, what, you know what I mean? It just adds something a little bit more special, I, I think, to it, without a shadow of a doubt. And he's, this is the best version of Togegen Hart that, that there is, that there's ever been. Yeah, I mean, already what he's achieved at the Giro, regardless of whatever happens in the, in the, in the two exactly. weeks to come, has validated his 2020 performance. It. It's already in the bank, he's done it. Yeah. And, you know, He's got, a, he's got a good few, he's got another four, five, six years at the top ahead of him. Well, yeah, yeah. he's potentially got a decade at the top if yeah. he can emulate what Geraint Thomas is doing. That's the, that's the, that's the age difference between the yeah, two yeah. of them. It's, um, it's revelatory for Gagan Hart. It's, totally. it's absolutely extraordinary. And it's terrifying if you're Primoz Roglic and Remco Evenepoel right now to see those two, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think with the, we were, we were kept, all we kept talking about was most of the Eagles Grenadiers. I mean, Lawrence de Plus. Oh no, who was the first off? I think Lawrence de Plus was, was 16th off. They all rode strong top, top 10. Right. They all, all finished top 10 as they posted their, you know, some of them got bumped out, admittedly, but they were pretty much all top 10. Yeah, and I think we've already seen them ride really well in the hills and collectively on the flat. Um, but just those results today, Sivakov included as well, sitting in 12th place, that collective show of strength is going to be a lot of DSs. I'm thinking, they, look, they, they, they could. And with the gaps that they, as they are now and the way that both the, the leaders are riding, they have the potential to tear this race apart. And we've still got the, 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 the hardest terrain to come. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant Giro. It, uh, these last two days have turned the Giro full circle, I think. It's, it's a different race. And, and, it's an une- and it's an unexpected scenario, isn't it? We, everyone expected a certain thing. There's, there was a sense of inevitability about what we thought was going to happen today. It's like, yep, yeah, okay. Let's see what happens in the mountains. But no, we've got something different. We've got a completely different scenario than I think anybody expected, which is brilliant. Poor old Stefan Kung. Oh, Kungi. Kungi. For four seconds. I mean, he nearly got rolled by his, by his team at Amaral. That would have been bad enough. Um, but 
fourth place on the day, only four seconds. And when Teo beat him first, he was the first person to go faster than Stefan Kung. It looked genuinely seconds. upset to me. I, we, yeah. I actually felt for him because yeah. he's such a likeable guy, yeah. such a hard worker. But okay, yeah, he's won the European Championship, but still just misses out, doesn't he? In, in the last, he's kind of just the bridesmaid all the time, yeah. and I just. Yeah. And the camera on him live when yeah. he has to when he has to instantly absorb that big personal defeat, so that, that that huge setback, that gut-wrenching moment where he realizes once again it's not happened. It's it's a horribly public sport, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's what makes cycling as a sporting proposition so unique it's not as simple as you win or you lose i mean you very rarely win you know you, you pretty much always lose but when it's by a margin just like that it's it's devastating isn't it it's it's the very nature of our sport it is utterly unique but yeah to see that i mean what other sport is there like that i, I don't think there is one but no stefan cohen great ride just wasn't good enough on the day i remember but. i remember in 2007 the opening prologue of the tour de france we were live doing our thing. Dave, Dave Zabriskie came over the line, set the best time by some distance actually. I can't remember who was out on the course following him, but he set the best. And I was dispatched well, with a live Captain camera. Kit, was it? I think so. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was dispatched to go, yeah, I think he was. And I was dispatched to go and interview him like that. And um, I did that thing where I allowed him 45 seconds a minute just to draw breath. And then it was all of a sudden like the Phil Liggett handed down to me. I think Ned could talk to Dave Zabriskie now. And I was Dave like that. And uh, I said, congratulations. Great time. You set the best time like that. And he was halfway through his first answer when he lost it, and the t someone went faster, right? Oh no! And, and Steve Doherty, the late lamented Steve Doherty, um, our very, very belligerent producer director back in the day, he said, he said he's lost it, he's lost it to so and so, he's gone faster. Tell him, tell him, let him know. Go on, and up in my ear. And so I had to carry out Steve Doherty. I said, Dave, sorry to interrupt you, just, uh, just, <laughs> just to let you know that so and so's gone faster. You're no longer the fastest time. He just looked at me. He gave me that look that you're giving me now. He gave me the Kung look. Yeah. And then, then he just went, oh, no. so just go and beat up on someone else, man. <laughs> Is that what he said? <laughs> Brilliant. That's a very Zabriskie answer. Zabriskie. He's quite so, so laid back, isn't he? But uh, no, I mean, it's a, uh, yeah, I, I think we're all pretty knackered heading into the, heading into the rest day. Uh, Remco's knackered, clearly. But um, no, a, br a brilliant time trial. Well, I think one of the best TTs we've had the pleasure of commentating on, perhaps. Yeah. I, I think it, it has to be without, without exaggerating. It was it was thrilling. I, 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 I once commentated on a, a Terreno Adriatico time trial, the final time trial where Sagan and Van Avermaet dueled it out by one second for the overall. That was amazing. Oh, yes, but the, the slightly shortened race, wasn't it? Where the yeah, mountain was exactly. taken out. So the, yeah. so the, that, that was that was amazing because it came down to a second. And I've done a, a few down the years that have come down to one second, but never where the top three have yeah. been divided by. I don't think so. And not when they're I all GC think. players as well. It's like very I'm, interesting. I'm, I'm trying to back at the tour. Was it like Froome beat the Moulin by one second, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. A few I, years I, ago. That, 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 that was all messed up when the gendarme stepped on the, the timing uh, tape as well, didn't it? Controversial, wasn't yeah. it? But that, that, but I can't think of like, yeah, one, two, three, yeah. one second. Uh, yeah. it, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, been been a brilliant day actually. In fact, had, had a lot, of, had a lot of fun. It's been good fun. Yeah, it's, it's been, been great. Fun. It's been fun. We've got a little drive ahead of us, and we not too far as well. So I've got to do the highlights nonsense now. I mean, not nonsense. I mean, obviously, it's important. Hey? It's important. It's very. Yeah, it's, yeah. Imagine a world without a three-second internet clip of the um, individual individual oh, time trial. Uh, no, I can't. I can't. Yeah. And I, I, you know what? I won't. What do you reckon, Mr. Time Trial? I reckon that was really exciting, Ned. I was um, I was glued to it because I, I did a really long bike ride this morning with um, Jez Hunt. We went to like a local Cyclo Sportif and did like 175k kind of Cyclo Sportif. I know we're all over it at the moment. 
it was hilarious because it's become um, your everyday life, isn't it? Is it really right? has. It really has. But oh, I, I kind of, I kind of rubber arm, sort of just basically twist. Well, arm twisted, not rubber arm. I arm twisted Jez Hunt's arm to the point that it was rubber in doing it because he hasn't ridden that long in like three years and hates <laughs> climbing and there was just <laughs> basic whinge fest. But uh, I made him do it and we had quite a lot of fun actually in a kind of both could barely walk or talk afterwards but but yeah then afterwards I came home and then I was like oh, I better actually do some stuff to help out around the house and so I had it on the commentary on in my earphones and the phone in my pocket with the race on so I was following it for the, like yeah. the last hour and it was just even listening to it I kept picking up going what the hell because yeah. it was yeah. I haven't seen a time trial that close I don't know since when no I mean I I, I seem to remember but I've got such a bad memory that I I've the only one I can recall commentating on, and you weren't with me on this, was um, a few years ago, Sagan and Greg Van Avermaet were... Oh, so uh, it's Tirreno. It's Tirreno. And a second separated them from the overall victory, actually, uh, because it was a weird edition of Tirreno without the Queen stage. So that, was a, that, that came down to a second. And I think, I was talking to Matt about this, the Froomey Dumoulin time trial, the year that Thomas won the tour... I think that came down to a second between Froome and Dumoulin, didn't it? Possibly. Mm, and there was maybe. some confusion whether the gendarmes kind of put their foot on the Oh, that's right, right in the final time trial. Yeah. I, yeah. Think that was a, I think that might be a second. And, I think you're right. And I, do think, and I do think I've commentated on quite a lot of other time trials that have come down to a second. But I can never remember the top three being like a second and a second. You know, like... So three riders within two seconds. Uh, over 35 kilometres. I mean, that's, it's always bamboozled me when you see the amount of variables involved and the length of the effort. I mean, if you, you imagine, I, I kind of like to think of it like this. If you were to have world-class runners go off and say, okay, we're going to give you a, what would be a, effectively a 15-kilometre running time trial. And set them off. Time-wise, yeah. Time-wise, yeah, you yeah, see what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So it'd be about 40 mm. minutes. Or 30, yeah, um, 45 minutes. 40, yeah, 40. But anyway, uh, around the same time. <laughs> and But what, what would be amazing, cause, and I'd love to see that in running, actually, is go, okay, we're going to set you off at two-minute intervals. And you've basically, because it doesn't exist in running, it's almost always tactical, unless they've got pacemakers, and you never see a runner just go all out, unless it was the, the Kipchoge sub-two-hour where it was an all-out effort to do the fastest time he could do, granted, with paces, etc. But normally in a marathon mm -hmm. or, or on the track, often at the highest level it becomes tactical. And it's always a sort of bunch race, effectively. But mm. if you were to set those world-class runners off and they were to do it and they were to finish within one second, it mm. would be, I mean, that's mad, which is what we're talking about here. And it's in cycling, there's so many more variables, especially in a wet time trial. I mean, granted, yeah. sometimes wet does... It is a great equaliser, um, mm. wet time trials, because everybody has the same terminal velocity, if you've got the skill set, going around corners. We've spoken about this yeah. before. So yeah. often, if you are the stronger rider, like let's say Rem Kervenepoel or Garant Thomas, you're flying, you're carrying your speed through the corners, but actually you're slowing down to the same speed as probably what somebody who's going to finish 50th is doing around that corner. And then you've got to wind because there's it, only one speed you can do it at. So exactly. Yeah. So you've got to take mm. it. You've, all the speed is rubbed off each time into every corner, every technical section. Then they've got to wind it back up again. So it, it, that if you are like Remco, where he's 
cruising along at 55, 57 kilometers an hour. He's then just carrying that through, but he's having to slow right down to kind of the mm. same speed as his competitor, then winding it back mm. up again. So it can actually mm. become quite tiring. The advantage he has by being able to build up that huge velocity, that inertia mm. is getting mm. taken off every time. Mm. And so it does, it, I think if it was a dry time trial today, there would have been bigger time gaps. But the very, yeah, I, but, but because yeah, it was I wet, I you see what I mean? Take that point. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I also wonder, David, whether the information coming from, there were three split, there were three checkpoints today all of them providing live information and and it was all you know it was it was very interesting that was the tale of the race you know remco had 11 seconds at the first checkpoint on thomas by the second checkpoint he had 2 seconds so that was the, that was the story of that um but i wonder whether if that information is straight away you know coming into the ears of the rider and subconsciously that rider is thinking okay so this is so now this is i've got 2 seconds to take back over the next whatever it is 10 kilometers that equates to a certain effort and you don't need to, you know, so you kind of like almost, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because, yeah. okay, I need to go 4% faster <laughs> or yeah. whatever it is. And so everyone arrives at the same time, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, get, like, it's, it's like, it's, it's all coming to that same vanishing point of, um, of the data because mm. you don't, you don't want to go harder put yourself in the red uh, harder than you need to so everyone kind of like arrive i don't know you c can you see roughly what i'm getting i at? do it's, say it's, it's roughly and i also think there's something very interesting about the different styles of of riding time trials i mean it's interesting there's a few different narratives here but one one i find interesting is remco he is not a negative splitter he's i mean oh. he's, he's got such a a, a a nascent career if you like we don't know much about him he doesn't know much about himself but we do know that Garant Thomas and essentially Ineos Grenadiers as a whole have a, a negative split technique. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. even when they're at their best, we saw Chris Froome do mm -hmm. it, Bradley Wiggins do it. You've seen Garant, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's what they do. Um, so going through, so it's not necessarily a surprise that Garant Thomas is but 11 seconds slower than Remco because Remco just goes out like a bat out of hell in every time trial. Mm. And and I wonder if he came through, what would have been the big shock to him is him getting to the second time check and realizing that he'd lost nine seconds, not yeah. only to Garant Thomas, but also to Theo Gagenhardt, he'd lost five seconds. And and I wonder as well, and again, this is where the direct sportif has to be so, so careful because I saw, or I heard, and you can correct me on this, that the only riders that they were giving GPS timings were between Remco and Roglic. Yes, yeah, and so exactly you had right. before the first time check, there was like a twenty-one or twenty-seven second or something. Twenty-seven seconds, really, really early on. Yeah. And it was like, okay, yeah. and it was like the assumption was okay. So the the one and a half minute, the one minute forty-five devastating time mm. trial is happening. You know, this yeah. is going to be possibly terminal for Primoz Roglic and everyone else. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, it it's was, going to happen. You know, it was nice, um, but then what we didn't realize at the time was actually Roglic was way off the pace of the leaders kind of of the Garant Thomas, Teo Gagan Hart, the kind of the guys who are, I think everyone's expecting after yesterday that he's back. So can I tell you my theory about Roglic now that's yes. emerged today? I, I think he has understood months ago that he would be racing Remco Evenepoel in this very particular edition of the Giro d'Italia, which is unlike any other Giro in recent history. It's got 75 kilometers of time trialing in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he... I, this is just a theory, right? I think he has thought, well, I can't win this Giro if I try and meet Evenepoel on equal terms and go head to head with him uh, on those. Oh, I see where you're going. On those time trying kilometers. 
Mm. Therefore, I'm going to back right off. My approach to this Jira is going to be different from any other Grand Tour I've ever gone into because I can't do the damage I need to do just in time trialing. I'm going to lose a couple of kilos and I'm all in for the climbs. Yeah. Not- notably, notably, um, in the first individual time trial, he climbed that section in roughly the same time as Remco did. Huh. And he's lost time. He's lost time to Remco on the flat where you'd expect him to be a little bit closer to Remco. Hmm. Um, and on the evidence of what we saw yesterday, he, he knows he can outclimb Remco. I, I, I know it's a short, sharp climb. And it but it's almost a tester maybe for him to reassure himself. I think, I, think he's, I think he's approaching this Grand Tour specifically using an approach tailored for this particular opponent on hmm. this particular course. Yeah, and I wonder whether I wonder whether he's just done he's flipped he's done something different, and that would explain to me his totally chilled demeanor through nine stages. He shrugged it off on on the first inter- individual time trial. He's been just a picture of chill and relaxed. He's I, I don't know. I think he's yeah. I think it's really interesting. So basically, he's done the opposite to everybody else, where everybody's been kind of hedging their bets, making sure their climb is good and their time trialing with ever, the whole big story of this Giro being at 70 kilometers of time trials. And actually Roglic has gone, you know what? I'm going to double Do- down on the climbs. And in the knowledge that, in the knowledge, in the certainty that you can crack this guy, well, you can crack this guy in the mountain and when he cracks at altitude in the Dolomites, he's not losing 20 seconds or 30 seconds. He's pulling mm. the pin potentially and he's losing minutes and you in, know, that, in that one instant. And you know also why this is then playing out to perfection is that he has got an ally in Ineos Grenadiers because they are now just going to set the race up for him. So David, when that group crossed the line, yeah. Roglic, Gegenhardt and Thomas yesterday, that was chilling if you're Remco Evenepoel because um, Primoz Roglic and Geraint Thomas reached out and touched each other's backs. Hmm. It was like, jot, okay. jot, this, is, this, is, this works. At this yeah. point in the race, this works. This works for all three of us. Yeah. This is great. I, I, I think it's. I think if you're Remco, you're deeply unsettled by what you're seeing there. I, I absolutely agree with you. And also, David, to back up my my climbing theory about Roglic still further, your man, one of your favourites, Sepp Kuss, yeah, has not put his nose in the wind yet. He's doing the old uh, Welt Pauls. He did a he did a super slow time trial today. He's been at the back of the bunch. When they set up for Roglic's attack yesterday, he wasn't involved. Huh. Where was it? He did this. Where he did exactly this? Was it the Vuelta? Oh, no, it was at the Tour, when, when Pogaccia won. Sepp had been pretty quiet the first half. And remember, it was Sepp Kuss who drilled so, yeah. it up that kind of one of the final ones, the only time, one of the only times that Pogaccia got slight distance. I think it was the day before that Plate- Plateau de Bay time trial. And Sepp Kuss was just flying up there, ripping it to pieces. Yeah. And, it's, yeah. and he'd been quiet the first half. And I think he did it at the Vuelta as well. So oh, that's really interesting. That's a good, that's a good kind of idea, Ned. I like it. Because the way well, that, I think we've got- that Roglic was climbing yesterday, I mean, he looked so at ease. You know, that cadence he was running was just obscene. Not, not only that, David, but the day before, when the GC race didn't happen on the Grand Sasso climb, mm. yeah, Remco, do you remember, he tried to force a split at the end. He kind of countered Eddie Dunbar's sprint for the line. And he went over the top and he went boom and tried to grab a second or two. And Roglic was straight onto him from really quite... Like a far, he was quite a, a long way back, wasn't he? he was seven mm. or eight wheels back. Saw Remco sprint, shut the gap to Remco, but didn't try to go past Remco. Hmm. Just he just shut that gap without opening his mouth. He was nose breathing. 
and mm. just drift and then cross the line. And Remco's first instinct when he crossed the line, if you watch that slow-mo back, as he glances to his right and he sees the big yellow figure to his right yeah. and he just goes, and he just almost shakes his head. <laughs> and Roglic is, Roglic is messing with him. Yeah. Oh, exciting. So when is the next mountain stage then? I don't know, that's a difficult question. Oh, sorry, okay, yeah, no, realistics today. So uh, let's go back to Inos Grenadiers because holy cow, have they started to get it right again. Oh, mate. I mean, it's, well, the last couple of years, if they've lost it, Jumbo Visma have overtaken them. They've done a classic, Ineos Grenadiers, that organisation of going back to the drawing board. And because, I mean, and, and hats off to Geraint Thomas. This is a rider who's in the twilight of his career, who it's kind of, kind of almost looked like his last big result in a Grand Tour would be that third he got as very much the third wheel at the Tour de France. Yeah. You know, he yeah, hasn't won his own race yeah. in his own race bubble. Exactly, <laughs> so, like yeah. so, kind of like, oh, the old guys kind of still hanging in there. Look at these young guys, not got a chance. Yeah. And he hasn't won a time trial since 2018. And I didn't realize he not. No, it was the I got that from Rob Hatch. Um, and uh, it's just he looks really good. But the fact, I didn't realize he's not won a stage at the Giro before going. No, well, he hasn't proper disappointed. Yeah, he really, hasn't really come no, close, no, has he? No. Well, he came from bloody never... close today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did but, you see his reaction as well? Yeah. Yeah, he's gutted. Uh, what he mouthed. Did you see what he mouthed? No. He, ma- he, he, like, he looked, uh, looked genuinely disappointed, but then typical him, he shrugs it off straight away and there's a bit of a smile. And then he turns to his swanee next to him and you can see what he says. He goes, little bastard. That's his nickname for him, isn't it? <laughs> Little fast. Little bust. It's so good. It's so good. It Man, so good. I tell you what was interesting as well with that, because there's a couple of things with Remco where you're starting to kind of see that he is so young. Kind of some of the things I, I read or heard that he said that he hadn't done the training for yesterday's climb for those steep efforts. And it was like, you just crushed everyone in Liège. Climbs don't get any steeper than they do in Liège. Explosive, you know. And so there's a kind of like a little bit of um, kind of, insecurity there kind of saying something like that and then kind of then announced that he wanted to win today because his mum was here kind of and because it's mother's day and continental europe uh, and you could but you could feel what was really I, I enjoyed watching that final k kind of you could see how much he was he wanted that win you know it's and that, that i've and this is these kind of multiple sides to him to come through to have lost come through at 11 seconds on the first time check then at the third t- time check be behind kind of be have lost can kind of be second on fraction the, of a second fraction of a second yeah, yeah. so you're in a descending spiral you know yeah. and then to pull it out pull it out yeah it's like and whoa it was, there was something beautiful about when he passed under the flam rouge he had 60 seconds to do a kilometer Oh, bang on. <laughs> he had 60, he had to ride that kilometre at 60 kilometres an hour. It was Holy so cool. Holy moly. Wow. Yeah. What a rider. Yeah, it was, it was very, it was very cool. Yeah. It was very cool. And it shows a lot of willpower, a lot of spirit. And you're so right about his public utterances. I think he's, it's so interesting that he's, he, there's no spin with him. He's just, no. he's, he's just saying what is genuinely what's going through his head. And he's, he's. You know, today he was very honest about how they got their pacing strategy wrong, and he was surprised by how his time trial didn't c- come to fruition in the manner that he thought it would. And yesterday, he was very honest about, like his when Roglic attacked him, he wasted energy trying to go with him. Yeah, 
and that and that hampered the rest of his defence of the time. And when he when he looked at the way Thomas and Gegenhardt had reacted to Roglic's attack, he learned on. And when he processed that later on in the evening, he kind of went, "Oh yeah, that's so." When a rider like Roglic does that on that sort of a climb, that's how you react. Oh, so actually, there's a double-edged sword here then, in that Ineos Grenadiers are almost stuck in the middle of the Remco-Roglic affair, because now probably Remco is going to take Garrick Thomas and take Gegenhardt's lead when Roglic does something. Maybe. And go, yeah, okay, guys, it's like, I know you're really good at this. I know Garrick yeah. hasn't got the exclusivity. I know how he rides. He's yeah. going to have to pace this, and generally he gets it right. And clearly, he's on scintillating form. It's a, it's a kind of it's a bit of a they're in a stuck between a rock and a hard place in the Grenadiers now, because they've got two legit contenders. Neither yeah. of them are going to want to sacrifice themselves. It's not there's not a cigarette paper between them. No, either. no, no. I it's mean, it's just extraordinary. I mean, we should mention Teo. I mean, it's just that's oh, just what? scintillating. Kind of never seen him. That's what I'm saying. Ineos Grenadiers are getting something very, very right across the board. And every single one of them, like Lawrence de yeah. what's he doing? Like every single one of them was crossing the line in a provisional top 10. <laughs> it's, they're all so fast. Yeah. It's crazy, you know. And they've still got Tumen Ahrensman and they've still got Pavel Sivakov in the top 10. They've got four riders in the top 10. That's bonkers. Oh, geez. So it's, it's a it's. The top, f- the top four on GC now, as things stand going into the rest day, have all won Grand Tours. They've all won, between them, they've won all of the Grand Tours. They've won six Grand Tours between them. Four Vuelters, one Tour and one Giro. Wow. What, 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 when, with respect to the Tour de France, when was the last time we had that? No. Like four Grand Tour champions. Jeez, all, that's so true. All with a chance, a and genuine, cogent chance of winning this race. And it, after stage nine, after kind of heavy time trial first week, there's only 50 seconds separating that top four of GC winners. Nuts, isn't it? Why, wow, Giro have finally got the race they've been waiting for for a while, huh? Uh, they're absolutely loving it. Loving <laughs> it. And, and, and to be honest, I hope now that the race in... Uh, I know most of our listeners are predominantly in the UK, David, and I hope people really sit up and take notice of what's going on in Italy now for the next two weeks because, yeah. you know, I know we've been spoiled with success with the Yates brothers and with Froome and with Thomas and Wiggins and all that, but this is, uh, this is an unexpected twist, isn't it? This mm. is, in two ways, Geraint Thomas, 36 years of age, 13 years older than Remco Evenepoel, 10 years older than his teammate, Theo Gegenhardt, has no right to be doing what he's doing. No. You know, it's 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 absolutely but it's wonderful to watch. And Gegenhart, you're right to you know, you're right to focus on him. Already what he's achieved at this Giro validates his twenty twenty win. Yeah. Yeah. It it's rubber so true. stamps it. It says you were a hitter and yeah. you are a hitter. You're you're racing better now than you were three years ago. But oh, everything everything that you're doing now shines a light on twenty twenty. Mm. You know. I think yeah, you're right. It gives great. it value added value now. In totally. retrospect. Hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. So that's good. How's Jess Hunt? Jess Hunt is great. He's great. It was good to go riding with him and kind of have fun. And we got dropped on the first climb. and had to chase to get... Well, actually, I just lead the chase mostly. Just with a bunch... Of, I tell you what was really interesting. I mean, it's like there were like 3,000 people at the start. And we were on the front line, thank God. But it was... Um, the first climb came up to 25, 30 Ks. And it wasn't nice. It was a proper climb, like 6, 8 Ks. And uh. Jess got 
pipe near the top and I was like waiting for him. And there were only like 30 riders left. But it was, I was suddenly thinking and I was going, because I've obviously done Cape Epic recently. Yeah. Then I've done the Tracker 360 the gravel thing. It, yeah, and then I've done yeah. this. And I actually went quite deep today for fun with Jez. And I was like, it reminded me just how hard kind of road cycling is. I was like, oh, you were a road bike, okay? Yeah, and it's right. This is road road bike today, and it was there were a couple of things because I did this a few years ago, probably about eight years ago, with Lachlan Morton when I was pro. Actually, no, God, eight years ago. What am I talking about? Probably about fourteen years ago, and <laughs> we just came and and we would stop at every feed, then just back up to the front, and just it was a nice training ride. And I was like, wow, how how good were we, Jez? <laughs> And like, yeah. that we we would have just kind of because you used to be able to breeze this sort of thing and and there was one point where we were kind of we I was having to go at fifty five k's an hour on the flat to get back onto this group. Holy and, crap. yeah! And I was I mean it's a full tuck legal UCI legal, and um <laughs> and I was just and I was just getting flashbacks of bike racing and think we used to do this all the time, and it's kind of and it was amazing yeah. just because. And it made me think again of how road racing is so weird in the sense that everything kind of happens in slow motion. Gravel was just adventure fun. Mountain biking wasn't the sharp end. But in neither of those events do you have kind of a 20-minute chase kind of... It's like, I keep thinking it's a little bit like in the old days. I imagine what, um, like when the Battle of Trafalgar and sort of battleships, where it was, we kind of forget how long it would unfold the ships having to get in line and kind of doing all these things and sending like <laughs> little <laughs> little boats between each other to transmit notes. Road racing is often like that. You're having to spend, there's, I can see them, they're like 400 meters away and it's going to take me 20 minutes now to close that gap. And I forgot a lot of time in road racing would be like that. Even the final of, of classics, there would be like 30 seconds between you and somebody It's like, right, it's super explosive, but I got to now slow everything down in my head and understand this is going to take 15 minutes to get yeah, to there yeah. and it's really yeah. weird kind of road racing where you have these really extended periods there's all this yeah. explosivity then all of a sudden you've got to kind of switch your head and go i've got to now focus on this one effort to get to that point and it's going to take me this long to get there and i was like yeah. god how hard is this it's yeah. Kind of, yeah, yeah it's yeah, mad yeah, like, yeah. so yeah it's a bit like um yodi le cyclisme c'est la voile your yeah. cycling it, it, is sailing completely there you go there's your battle of trafalgar thing yeah, yeah. i love it like i mean he meant it in a slightly different way yeah it applies in that in that it, it applies in that so a really good example of that is the ben healy breakaway was it yesterday yeah, yesterday God, yeah yesterday yeah the ben healy breakaway healy was the was the t healy's thomas de ghent but a really good thomas de ghent healy mm. Healy was Thomas de Genting the breakaway to try and get it uh, away, you know, and he took yep. this group of four riders clear. I don't know if you saw that phase of the race. I didn't see the on, first phase. I saw when he went. First 70K, 70K yeah. till it went, right? 70K, most of the, the last 30K of that was this four rider group, including Carlos Verona, Ben Healy, a couple of other, the more senior pros in that mm. eventual breakaway. And they were just there at 20 seconds. Oh, behind, God. That's behind... Battleships. Honestly, it was 30 kilometers of that. Yeah. And they were just hammering it. There was a team pursuit. There was a team pursuit at the front. And behind, the peloton was just firing riders, firing counterattacks up the road. And none of them could get across. None of, but it was only t 20 seconds down to 12 seconds, back up to 25 seconds, 20. It went on for so long. Oh, it makes me feel and sick. And it was totally, the timeline was totally kind of, you know, elastic and extended mm. like that. And it was, it was, um, that's what made Ben, part of what made Ben Healy's victory 
yesterday so extraordinary because mm. he'd done all that well because i read a, a couple of the reports and quotes and all those riders that were with him in that move already knew even if it went he was going to win yeah, totally. because he was so much stronger than them it's like geez. i think i yeah. think matt and i said the same i've i can't remember the last time a breakaway rider if you like that's what ben healy is at the moment in his career at the moment yeah he's not yeah, yeah at the moment he might become a gc rider I, I, mm. why not but at the moment, he's a breakaway rider. I can't remember the last time I saw at a Grand Tour a breakaway rider who, on a particular type of course, admittedly, but on a but there's no reason why he can't do it in the high mountains as well, is so head and shoulders above everyone else. Like yeah. thirteen, there were thirteen riders up the road from thirteen different teams. All but one was a climber, Oscar Rizabek, and only one rider was going to win from the moment wow. that group went. Ben Healy was going to win. Jeez. And I can't remember, when did we last have a guy like that? I don't know. Uh, but Sagan. Like, Sag- Sagan, exactly. Or Thomas de yeah. Ghent. At his absolute Thomas de Ghent was hit and miss. Pump. He was hit and miss. Yeah. Sagan often he'd and get maybe, in the move and be like, oof, okay. It's against yeah, Sagan. He, yeah. yeah, Healy's yeah. Healy's the business, isn't he? Yeah. Really is. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, that's that's um, that was all about the race. All about the race. Oh, that's what we do. me one question. Answer me one question about Jess Hunt. Is he still managing in Malaysia? Yes, he is. Yeah, and he's doing. He's got wow. his coaching business. So if anyone wants, he's uh, so he's got his coaching business where he looks after people privately, and he's got his he manages the Malaysian team. Tenenganu, I think it's called or something like that. Yeah, yeah, mm. very good. Yeah, the premium, one of the best teams in all of Asia, actually. So there you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Good old Jess. All right. Well, um, yeah. hopefully we're going to get Pete on the pod tomorrow. Aren't yeah, we? that'd be good. I'm. Yeah. I'm traveling. What are your plans tomorrow? Well, I travel day? in the afternoon. I'm going to go and ride the okay. Angli Roo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that the first time you've been up it since you threw yes. a strop? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Your a protest, strop. Ned. Strop. A protest. Okay, a protest. A legitimate protest. With a bit of stroppiness mm. involved. With a bit of flouncing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll be that's telling that story. Oh, that's so good. That's yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, you're doing it for GCN, of course. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I forgot. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. So what time do you get back from that? Uh, well, no, I'm going... Well, I'm, I'll be going to the airport in the afternoon. So I'll be arriving late. So if we could do it... Well, anyway, we can discuss this. But uh, I guess... What are you doing okay. in your rest day? Are you, are you, two, know, yeah. you got I'm two nights like, at the hotel? No, we... Oh, we, no, flicked. no. no. Yeah, I know, flicked. But I do want to get... I'm running out of T-shirts and I need to uh, do some laundry in the morning. Um, and then we've got a three-hour drive. So I don't know. We'll have to liaise with Pete and figure out the best time to best time to do it. Uh, but yeah, it'd be nice to hear from Pete. would be lovely to hear it? from Pete. Missing Pete. Yeah, I'm missing Pete. I think he's yeah. having his well-deserved break. A little, uh, he is. But I don't know if he's been listening to it avidly as I have. I've been very much enjoying... I, your day on Friday, I'm just so... In oh, admiration the of the fact you even got that podcast out, because it sounded like I could Grand just imagine Sasso what day. that day would have been like. I'd have been in a foul mood. Oh, oh, it's right up there with the very worst, David. Oh. It really was. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But then I, but then I didn't. I hadn't realised at the time that a bunch of riders had got caught up in it all as well. I like, saw a tweet about the, the, like you had riders mixed with fans and stuff, and just that's kind of bad. That's, that's not really good. Bad. And then, like, on the one hand. That's just terrible. Look after your athletes, for heaven's sake. That's they're like, the commodity. But then, like, not 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 passing any kind of comment or apology about no. that. But actually, the UCI releases a press release criticizing people for using helicopters. <laughs> uh, so UCI. I mean, 
you can't have it. You can't have it both ways, can you? I mean, no. what? I mean, I don't love. I don't love helicopters. I don't love the environmental damage that they do. But get the riders off the mountain, for mm. heaven's sake! They should have chinooks. Like chinook. Yeah, how you could get the whole peloton. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I wonder how many chinooks you have. Is it like forty capacity or something? I have to look oh, that man, up. Look more than that. They're big. Yeah. Mm, yeah. When you see them, it's quite. When I used to live in southeast London before I moved to Lewisham, um, the chinooks used to land there every day near the Woolwich oh, cool. um, artillery. And they, we used to see them taking off. They used to fly low over our house. But rather worryingly, in London, almost every day you see two Chinooks fly. I don't know where they're going. They go somewhere west. But almost on a daily basis, you'll see them. But really worryingly, they are obliged to fly over the river. So they can't fly direct. Oh, they, right. So they follow, they follow, follow the they river. follow the course of the river. Just in case they go down. Just in case they go down. <laughs> Because they've got quite a good, good track record. Quite a big track record yeah. of like falling Oops. out of the sky. Oh, God. <laughs> Imagine a pink Chinook. Oh. A Chinook Fight for pink. Fight amore infinito. El Chinook di Dieter Italia. Such a, such an RCS thing to do. Get a Chinook for cheap. Paint yeah. it up pink. Yeah. Buy oh. off the Romanian Air Force. Imagine the that, uniforms but. they get done for it. Oh. Glorious. Ah, they used to be sponsored by uh, what's that that clothing brand in Italy? Aeronaut. Uh, oh yeah, Aeronautica. Militare, or, uh, yeah, yeah, Aeronautica Militare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so I good. love this. I love this bike race, David. It's brilliant. Yeah, I know you yeah. do. I know you do. Yeah. All right. Well, we can yeah. talk about all this sort of nonsense tomorrow on the rest day. Yeah. Um, I shall. Uh, I shall uh, wish you good night. Yeah. Bye. Tomorrow at some point. Bye. Bye. Bye.